For the longest time, we've had to depend on what the West thought of us. They come in here, they see what you're thinking, and then they shape it into what they want it to be, and then send it back to us and say, well, we came here, we took your thoughts, and this is what we think of your thoughts. So it's good to have a platform where the authentic stories can be told by the originators. And then there's a reference point when you say, okay, who has this story? You can point in the right direction and you know for real that you're getting it from the appropriate source. Africa X. Create your life. Create your life. Beautiful people, this is the Create Your Life series, and you are listening to Africa X, which is our special series focused on conversations and experiences with experts from Africa, in Africa, about Africa. And I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. Today, we have another amazing guest, and this guest we have been waiting to have on the show for some time now. And I admit, it's primarily my fault that we haven't got him on the show as of yet, but he is here now, and we share so much in common. He's a seasoned radio and podcast consultant and veteran with years of experience both on air and behind the scenes. He has worked in various capacities, including production and management for multi-format radio stations. As a podcast host and producer, he is the face and voice behind the Tony Doe podcast. He also curates a podcast industry newsletter and podcast called Podcast Related, which provides insightful commentary and analysis on the latest happenings in the podverse. And I love that he coined that frame, the podverse. Ladies and gentlemen, I am talking about none other than Mr. Tony Doe. Tony, please say hello to the Create Your Life family. Hello, Create Your Life family. It's a pleasure to be here and I'm excited. I'm excited about this opportunity. It's been a long time coming and here we are. No, most definitely, Tony, man. We share so much in common and probably in comedy too because we do laugh a bit together. It's been a pleasure to work with you also on the Avropod side, man, but you've done so much for the African podcasting ecosystem. When I go to conferences, bro, like people know your name, people know who you are. And I think that that's so dope. (laughs) It's amazing. That's the first time I'm actually hearing that my name is in such circles. So that's inspiring. No, man, definitely. When I was at Podcast Movement just this year, I told James Cridlin, hey, Tony Doe says hello. And he was like, oh, Tony, man, I love his newsletter. He's amazing, et cetera, et cetera. And other people too, man. Like people know who you are, bro. The work that you're doing is impactful. For real. Grateful for that. Grateful. So for you, man, how did you get started in radio in Nigeria? Even for somebody who's aspiring, what's the usual path to becoming on-air talent in the Nigerian market? It's pretty unique. I think the first thing is you become a fan first. You listen to certain people and you're like, you love what they do. You love how they sound. You love the music they play. And for me, that basically was in my home growing up. Music was played a lot. The radio was played a lot. I grew up with my mom and my sis, but we usually had cousins and aunties who came through. So it was a full house. And then Saturday mornings were always fun. Listen to a lot of 80s music growing up. My sis was big on curating songs from the radio. I learned how to do that a little later. There were people I listened to in the 80s, early 90s. At the time, though, I didn't think it was something I was going to do. I actually thought these guys were superhuman, you know, like superheroes. They had this mystique about them. You really didn't know what they looked like. So you had to build your own imaginations of what these people looked like. So, you know, it was a big thing. But over the years, I found myself writing in ways that would eventually get me into radio. 
My journey into radio began really in 2004. It was years after my university experience and I was trying to take a professional course in journalism and some of the lecturers we had worked in actual broadcast stations. And so during an internship, while some of my colleagues were choosing regular press houses, I decided, let me see what radio has to offer. So I got into radio, apologies for that. I got into radio that way and I met a producer who had a different perspective of what he thought I could do. I really didn't know what I was getting into. I was just like, you know what, let me just be in the environment. I had a few friends I had made over time while I was pushing my demo tapes around. So I knew some people already who were working on radio and for me, it was just a joy watching them perform. So in 2004, I got the experience. I spent a lot of time in the studios from breakfast slots down to the lunchtime show, watching producers do their thing, watching presenters do their thing, watching the DJs spin some awesome vinyls too. And I was absorbing it. I wasn't seeing a lot, but I was just taking it all in and enjoying the experience. My first actual gig on radio was a voiceover bit, which I still remember. There was some people at the Water Corporation Company in Lagos. One of the senior producers at the time was working in the production suite. And I was curious too, because I did a bit of music production. So I was curious to see what they were working with regarding the digital audio workstation. So I walked in, sat down, asked what he was working with, called it it, said, okay, I was a bit familiar with it. And he looked at me, I was like, okay. But apart from that, I have a script and I want you to run it. I said, a script? And he said, yes. And so I took it, it was about 30 seconds and I read it and he cleaned it up, put a bit of music under it and then played it back for some of his colleagues. And they were like, who's that? And he was like, it's this guy that's been here for weeks, refusing to say anything. <laughs> so I got him to say something that he eventually did. So I got some attention from that. Presenters started coming up to me like, oh, okay, it seems you can actually talk. So, you know, let's create segments for you. And that was how the journey began. No, I love that, man. I had the opportunity to hear your amazing voiceover work also. So Create Your Life Family, if you are listening to the intro song for Africa X, Tony Doe is actually on there. When I got it back from him, I immediately sent him a message like, bro, you are amazing. That was so well done. Like, I didn't know what to expect, right? Like, I talked to you on the phone a couple of times, you know what I mean? But like, extremely top tier, bro. You are talented. Hold on. I think I might actually remember yours. Is it Shay Shay or Bravo? Look at me learning some language, some vernacular. You're an amazing voiceover artist, bro. Thank you, man. Thank you. I did a variety. I can't remember what other languages I did, but I know I did the pigeon one and that was the one I was really excited about. And it went a little something like, create your life series. I can't remember what else we did, but that was the one I truly enjoyed doing. I think I did a variation of that, about three or four variations of that particular one. You did it in pigeon as well. Sounds great, bro. Thank you. You're welcome, bro. In some of our previous conversations, you've talked about being one of the first to see how podcasting can have an impact in Nigeria. Can you walk us through what inspired you to get on your podcasting journey? And actually, when did your podcasting journey start? I know radio was 2004 for you, but when did podcasting come about? Podcasting came a lot later. I think I really started showing interests in podcasts around 2012. Around that time, I was looking for creative outlets apart from radio. I'd become disillusioned with what I was experiencing on radio at the time, and I wanted to see if there was a way to do audio in another way. Where I'd been working up to that time, we had a lot of really great content that didn't seem to 
go beyond the live versions. And it bothered me a lot because sometimes I felt we could really cover up some airtime with some really great content that had been done before. I did a lot of voice tracks. I did a lot of pre-produced programs that would run on radio a little later. I think I have a stack of CDs or many of these stuff. And I kept on wondering, you know, why does it have to end on air? What if there was a way to make this audio content accessible to anybody around the world without having to cut it up into chunks and attach it as an email bit to that person. I had the experience of MySpace, for instance. I had done an international collaboration with some rappers around the world around 2007. So my mindset was opening up to those kind of potentials. Like if somebody could find me, for instance, on MySpace and say, based on what I've heard, I would like us to do something together. I then imagined rather what it would look like if somebody heard me doing a radio job or doing an interview with somebody and then saying, you know what, I'd like us to have a conversation that could be accessible to anybody anywhere else in the world. Maybe I'm talking to somebody on radio in New York, for instance. While that played in my head, around 2012, I was already a big fan of The Breakfast Show in New York. The way I accessed it then was via iTunes and YouTube. And I was like, this is an actual radio show that is being made available for me, who's about 12 hours away and thousands of miles away. And I can still enjoy it, even if it isn't live, but the content still resonates. It's still entertaining. I can listen to it whenever I want. So what if I could make content like this? I discovered SoundCloud, discovered Hawkshare. And then I started creating content. But because of my radio background, I was doing a little too much. So I was making it sound a lot like radio. I was putting in all the music and all the sound effects until I stumbled on, you know, a few other podcasts that seemed stripped down and focused on what the core content was. And then this was a really difficult time because like now that we have better data, we had really terrible data at the time. It was 2.5G, 3G max, and I would create 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 45 minute content, and then try to force that online and it would take forever, maybe a day or two. Yeah, it started like that for me. And over time, I started looking for different ways to recreate some of the things I did on radio and then create the ideas I wanted to run on radio that didn't seem appropriate for the platform, but would definitely uh, work as on demand. And so, you know, the journey began. I haven't looked back created a lot of stuff, many dead on the internet, but some I still find every now and then. Some hidden ones on SoundCloud somewhere. The Hawkshare one still exists too. So yeah, I started in 2012 and since then I haven't looked back. I've pivoted every now and then. I found myself more interested in the entire culture, the entire ecosystem beyond just what we were creating and finding out that it had its own nature, which was away from radio, but it also embraced every other form of media, including visuals and text. We could create blogs and articles and social media messages and clips for Instagram. And then we could do YouTube all from the fact that we created something really unique with our audio. That's how it's been. Love that. Love that. Tony, essentially, you got the vision. Like you have the foresight to understand and to know what's coming. Something that you've been a part of that will have that type of future and grander impact is APVA. Can you tell us a little bit about your work with APVA and also what does APVA stand for? APVA is the Association of Podcasters and Voice Artists on the Continent. 
I joined APBA, or we call it up, in 2021 when BDME reached out to me and I shared her vision with me. I'd seen it. I think I found them on LinkedIn and I was like, oh, you know, this looks like something I can be a part of. So I filled out the form. She reached out to me. We had a couple of Google meetings and she shared her vision with me. It aligned a lot with what I was trying to do as well, because you do realize that when you're investing in the podcast ecosystem or in podcast culture, you need to build communities. You need to build trust across different platforms and with different people. So when she said she was building something that had a way to represent the continent and do good for the continent in the eyes of the rest of the world, there was no way I was going to say no to that. And so I hopped on board. Though podcasting is a big part of APVA, there's a lot going on in that ecosystem as well. BDME had this vision of making sure voice artists were represented, but the good thing is voice artists even have other bodies that are doing quite powerful stuff, but there was nobody represented for the spoken word artists. There was nobody represented for the poets. It just seemed like a really good thing to be a part of. And the first thing we thought that we could do to establish our presence and our value was to recognize those in these spaces who were doing amazing work. And it was fan-driven. All we wanted to do was provide a platform where the fans could come themselves and say, you know what, we are fans of this person and this project, and we want to recognize them using your platform. And that's how we came up with the Apple Awards as well. And the Apple Awards are huge. We had Bidemi on the pod and she definitely talked about the impact and the number of submissions and things like that. So I'm actually really excited about what the awards will do and how big they'll be this year as well, man. And so am I. I'm really excited. Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, I've been to several industry conferences, both on the continent and in America, and people know your newsletter. How did you get it started and how did you grow it? Where are the majority of your newsletter readers at? I started this, well, officially last year, so it's just a little over a year old. But before then, I had a medium platform where I expressed my thoughts on anything podcasting and in the various communities I'd been a part of. Whenever I came across a story I thought would resonate with the local podcasters as well, I would share them there. I did that too for some platforms, but over time, I found I was curating a little more from my own perspective. And then I wanted to actually understand what my perspective was. So I created my own unique newsletter for that purpose. It started about a year ago, officially as This Week in the Podverse or podcast related This Week in the Podverse. It was around March 6th or March the 3rd. And the majority of the subscribers, I have just over 300 subscribers, which I think is pretty huge given that all I've been doing is staying consistent with weekly editions of the newsletter. It's 12 past 12 now, so the one for this week has gone out already. Mm -hmm. What I did was, first of all, immerse myself in as many communities as I could. I joined the Podcast Association. It's expired, but I'll renew it before the end of the year. I joined PodCircle as well, which is a community of international podcast producers. I'm a part of Apfa, of course. For a while, I was a part of Niger PodHub, but I joined a lot of communities. I subscribed to a lot of podcast newsletters as well. So even the inspiration for the newsletter came from the newsletters I was already subscribing to. Of course, James Cradland is the godfather of this, and that was how we became friends. I remember when I started doing my surveys on podcast listening habits in 2018, I think up until the time I paused in 2021, he reported on each and every edition I did. That was a big deal for me because it meant that far away in Nigeria somewhere, we were actually doing something unique. 
So it's been a year. I started the audio version as well this year, which was supposed to be an opportunity for me to have conversations with other people in the podverse and then make it accessible to those who were already having access to the newsletter. It's been going well so far. I'm speaking to local podcasters. I'm speaking to other players in the podcast space, podcast tech companies, for instance, people who provide network services, people who play all sorts of roles, trying to really expand the perception that people have of podcasters. It's not just us sitting in front of a mic. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. There's marketing, there's strategy, there's networking, there's management. So... You know, those are the things I'm looking at. And it's still a nascent medium. We really don't have a lot of reference points for podcasting in Nigeria here. So I'm trying to create something that somebody else can build on and then extend. And then, you know, we have pockets of us all over the place. I like Molly Jensen, CEO of AfriPods, would say more is more. And I took that around with it. So, Tony, you are a loving father, husband, brother, entrepreneur, and much more. How do you balance it all? God's grace. We have a song by a gospel artist called Dusin Oyeko, and it's essentially my life. It's my wife's favorite song, and it just tells you that for everything I think I know I'm doing, I'm actually just winging it, but God knows the rest. For everything I think I'm empowered to do, my strong faith base helps me deal with these things a little better. I think the key to it is just to make up your mind to enjoy life. It's not the easiest thing to do. I've had to be away from home for a while because I was chasing ambitions and stuff. And I just realized that with everything I've been gifted, I could do a lot more while keeping the family around me and not fall into the trap of the ambitious ones who sacrifice family for success or what they think is success. I'm grateful that I have a loving wife. I married her on the job. She worked on radio as well. She's expanded her scope into a variety of other things as well. I have incredible children who I'm just blessed to have. I can't complain about anything regarding them. So it's a firm determination to say that you want it to work this way. Sometimes what you declare over yourself consistently ends up playing a big part in how your life turns out. I told myself in 2012, I look forward to just waking up and working into my garage and knowing that I'm working for the rest of the day without having to leave the house. And I've been doing that for quite a while. And it's been amazing. Gotcha. What is the best podcast hosting platform in your opinion for African creators? AfriPods. Why? There's a lot of work to do, but AfriPods. First of all, I think I fell in love with AfriPods even before I brought my content to AfriPods. There was no other platform doing it for African content creators. Shout out to Alco and Spotify, but... To be honest, they just seemed content with gathering our content and our data without really helping us structure what we we're doing and then gain off it. For instance, I can't be on any of those other platforms except I'm based in the U.S. or have a U.S. account. And I felt that was shortchanging me. It was taking for granted the fact that I liked being a creative, but why can't I get a little reward for what I create? And then, of course, it was hard to curate and bring these African stories together. And then there's AfriPods that is representative of the continent. We have over 50 languages on board. Every step of the way, there's a new piece of technology that's making it easier for content creators to come on board. And it's free, which means that if you're patient enough to grow your content on the platform, a time is coming when you can actually begin to enjoy the fruits of your labor as a creative. 
and you won't worry about having to be based in the US or using certain platforms like PayPal. We'll be able to be rewarded using the various monetary technologies on the continent. So AfriPods, yes. What do you feel is the most exciting aspect of African podcasting? The stories. Stories are numerous. Ooh, we're a treasure trove as a continent. And for the longest time, we've needed a place to house these stories. And a lot of local radio stations were doing it. The radio stations I worked in, there were shows that were just full of really exciting local stories. I was on a project in 2015. I'm still having a conversation with them like, you know, we can't just let this end the way it ended. It was 150 episodes. Mm -hmm. It was an inspiring series. So each story was a complete story on its own, but the lesson was about how somebody overcame something difficult and succeeded eventually. And it was in Pigeon. And it played across the nation on syndicated radio. A lot of people didn't know I was behind it when they found out they were kind of shocked. And it was sponsored by a brewery company. And I kept thinking, I was like, these stories can go on forever. Yes, the quarters are over. The deals with the radio stations may have ended, but these stories are still real. If the brewery decides that, okay, we want these stories to continue, what would be the best way to make that happen? Bring it onto a podcast platform because that way you can continue to churn out the sponsorships over and over and over again without having to pause and decide, okay, can we run it on this radio station? It's going to be there, archived and accessible to as many people that need to hear it. I don't know if they would answer me though. There were a lot of people who were working on this project. I was just the voice talent. They were like three, four other marketing agencies involved. But yes, we have stories to tell. We have talented people who have impressions or rather who have worldviews that need to be heard. For the longest time, we've had to depend on what the West thought of us. They come in here, they see what you're thinking, and then they shape it into what they want it to be and then send it back to us and say, well, we came here, we took your thoughts, and this is what we think of your thoughts. It's already happening with Afrobeats too. I mean, I'm hearing a lot of people now claiming that they were the ones who brought Afrobeats to the US. So it's good to have a platform where the authentic stories can be told by the originators. And then there's a reference point when you say, okay, who has this story? You can point in the right direction and you know for real that you're getting it from the appropriate source. So yes, we have stories and we have talented people here who can tell these stories too. What do you feel is different about the African creator or podcaster versus the other creators elsewhere? It's still new. So there are a lot of us who are very rough around the edges. Most of the established podcasters we enjoy today from the rest of the world usually come from established foundations. And then the successful networks also run radio broadcast houses as well. So there's a structure that supports what these successful podcasts or podcasters do. You've either created a niche in the comedy sector, or you're a big TV person, or you're a radio person, you're a prominent person. For the average African, it's fresh ground. I actually use the podcast. In fact, that was how I measured the success of the podcast I was doing. I'm a big fan of the English football club, Arsenal FC. I've been a fan since I was about 11. I decided to give back in my own way by creating a podcast. The entire idea of the podcast was to gather reactions from fans, very similar to what AFTV is doing, which is the Arsenal Fan TV. But it was supposed to be about Nigerians having a say in how the matches went, and it was in Pigeon. And I had this good friend who's now become more like a brother to me, who was a regular contributor we never met. 
he had dreams of working in radio, which I didn't know until we were far gone into, you know, the podcast. It got to a point where he became the presenter and I was the producer. And he did that final year in his school, during his internship, and just when he started working. And what he was doing was building capacity on the podcast. Now, over time, he kept letting me know that he had dreams of working in radio and he was using the podcast to build his skills. He used to send his audio via voice notes, voice note attachments, either via email or via WhatsApp. And then I drew the magic around it. He created a nuance. He created a style. He created a certain level of consistency. And by the time he actually went to pitch for a job, he had something he could give them and they listened to it. They liked it. They actually loved it. And they got him a job. He's been on that job for nearly seven years now. He's one of the biggest radio personalities right now in Lagos. So for me, that was even a measure of success. And that's how for a lot of people who are doing podcasting, at least in Nigeria, that's how it started for many of them. For the others who may be enjoying success, they've of course had to cross for more established platforms. But yes, that's the difference really. For a lot of people coming into it on the continent, it's heads first. They're diving in head first and then figuring it all out a little later. For the successful ones abroad, there's been a structure, and for a lot of them, there's an entire production unit supporting them. If you tell a Nigerian podcaster now you need a production team, he's really going to stare you down because it's hard enough just <laughs> doing it on your own. That's what I would say it is. I would also add to that that I feel like innovation. I feel like the creators here are on another level of innovation because I think what you said, you know, you talked about people who are coming from established places. I think when you're coming from a non-established market or industry, then there's room for you to just create and you might be creating something amazing. You might not even be aware of it Yeah, with the African creators. So I'm loving that. What three tips would you give to a new African podcaster who's starting out? If you'd asked me this last year, I would have a ready answer for you. You're asking me this year, a lot of people are coming into podcasting with different perspectives, with different ideas, with different ideals. But the first thing is, and I still emphasize this, why do you want to do this? Know your why, because whatever you face going forward, you'll come back to your why and that will decide or help you determine whether you're on the right path or not. So you have to be certain. Do you want to make money off it? That's what you want to do. Be clear about it from the very beginning so that you focus on the steps it would take to make money. Do you just want to be expressive? Do you want people to know how you think, what you think about certain things? Focus on that because at the end of the day, when things get hard down the line, you come back to that. So be very clear about the things you want. Then two, join a community. The community is always the best place to pour out those ideas because your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister might think you're crazy going into podcasting. But the people in the community would have had some sort of experience or would be going through the same thing you're going through and might have another perspective that could aid you and you could also share your perspective. So it's also about value positioning. If you're joining a community, you're going to give as much as you get, but it's essential. So that's two, know your why, join a community. And three, be consistent. Consistency could take a variety of forms. You don't have to do too many episodes, but you can make those episodes mean so much that you keep reminding people that these episodes exist. I have a friend who's just begun his sixth season of his podcast, and I told him maybe around season three, 
If you don't do any more episodes, you've discussed everything that happens in the world. We can always come back to certain episodes and say, you know what, Rodney talked about this on this episode, which he does. And that's how he draws attention to what he does. He comes onto social media. There's a major topic out there. He's like, aha, this episode, this, we talked about this and he brings it in. So do something of value. Make it consistent. Make it something that we can always go back to so that we never forget you. So yes, know your why, join a community, add value to the community as much as you receive, and then be consistent with your value position. When you create something, keep telling people that it exists. Thank you for those three tips, Tony. Wow, Create Your Life family. I hope that you are really enjoying this episode. I wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsors and let you know that our sponsors are giving special offers just for you. If you are a fellow busy podcaster who just wants to record and spend the rest of your time doing what you love, like working out at the gym with family and friends or traveling, use code CYLS for a discount on services when you go to podcastlaundry.com or call 347-871-8273 to schedule your consultation. That's podcastlaundry.com or 347-871-8273. And without further ado, let's get back to the show. What role has mentorship played in your success as an entrepreneur and also as a podcaster? Have I had mentors? I've had lots of mentors. I still have mentors. I'm not even sure they know because it's a whole distant thing. You're one of them, definitely, because I always go back to how you began even before the Create Your Life series. Molly Jensen is definitely, you know, one of them, too, because having to come into this family and beginning to study what everybody's done before and beginning to understand the value and the position that everybody brings in. James Cridland is definitely one. I'm a big fan of Ariel Nissenblatt. One of the things I enjoy about her is how she adapts to everything that's happening. So it's never just a one-off bit of information that, okay, if you do it this way, this is how it works. There's always that room for adaptation and that's the beauty of this medium, everything is changing, but people are changing as well. And then some people who are changing are changing at a rate that they can take other people along and help them not get lost. I try to go back to my radio days as well because my biggest influences were the storytellers I was privileged to work with. So even the ones I was fans of, I ended up working with some of them. Um, shout out to Femi Show, Lou Jones, Hussein. These are men that, I don't know why they don't have podcasts yet, but they say it's my fault. These are men that if they bring their value into the podcasting space because of the way they speak and the wealth of knowledge they have, they would add value to even those who are coming in. Storytelling is key for me here because how else can you make somebody want to listen to you ramble for so many minutes if you're not telling them something they want to hear, but you're not telling them something that's compelling. So it's a big deal. I don't know if I'm a mentor yet, but I mentioned my own mentor so far. Because mentorship is key. It's very essential. They could be direct mentors or they could be remote mentors, but you need mentors. Other than consistency, what have been the keys to your personal growth? Other than consistency, the fact that I love what I'm doing and the fact that I actually love podcasting. I love it. For a while, I was giving the Monica the pod god because I just couldn't stop talking about something happening in the podcast space. So I love it. I actually love the medium itself. I love the culture. I love the ecosystem. And when you're passionate about something, you're going to be consistent with it. So the passion even supersedes the consistency. You have to love it first to be consistent. It has to have a reward. And the reward itself is that it makes me feel good. So yes, my passion for it and the fact that I get to meet wonderful people in the space who just love the medium as much, if not twice as much as I do, 
are willing to help, are willing to assist, are willing to see you succeed. And it's just a very beautiful thing. One of the other things that I had the opportunity to see you grow through too, Tony, I hope you now don't get mad at me for putting you on blast, but I got to see you work through being vulnerable and saying, hey, you know what? I need to ask for help when I can, you know what I mean? When I need it. I think that that was really dope because a lot of us don't ask for help when we could use it or when it could be to our benefit or say, hey, you know what, this is going on. And so seeing you do that, at least for me on my end, an observation and being a consistent communication with you is definitely a way that I've saw you grow personally. So kudos to you for that, man. Thank you. That wasn't always the case with me. I used to bottle a lot of stuff up rather. But over the years, especially I think marriage played a big part of it because before then I was used to doing things on my own. I was used to making my own decisions and standing by them whether they were wrong or right. But when you have a different perspective, especially one that's complementary to what you do, you begin to become a bit more vulnerable because you know that the end goal is something much better. So I'd have to say I have a wonderful wife, grateful to God for her. She's very supportive and that's helped me see things a bit more holistically. So I do realize that I'm not the only one in the world. My mother still has a saying about it. It's an evil. I'm not sure I can pronounce it right. But what it means is you're not the only one going through stuff. There's always someone elsewhere who's going through what you're going through. And if you find the right person to share what you're going through with, you're halfway towards solving whatever that problem is. But it does require discretion and it'd be the faith. You do need faith. Yeah, no, most definitely, man. And kudos to you for that, bro. And kudos to your mom for that saying. A very, very real saying. One that I've heard many, many times myself. Oh, she's a great storyteller. <laughs> Mom's is a philosopher, right? Oh, yeah. She should have had her own podcast too. Okay, okay. I hope it's not too late, though. I hope it's not too late. It's definitely not. It's definitely not. So, Tony, as you have been on this journey... Have you received negative feedback or essentially haters? And if so, how did you navigate that and how have you pushed through it? What did it look like? Was it public? Was it private? Or if you have no haters at all, I mean, that's also a great thing too. I can't say I've experienced any haters directly. I've seen people question the medium lots of times. On the Tony Doe podcast, for instance, I asked radio presenters what they thought about podcasts and the answers varied. There were those who thought it was exciting, thought it was something that could complement what he did. And then there were those who thought that whoever was into podcasting was a pretender, somebody who really couldn't cut it on radio and then thought that podcasting was the way out. There are people who don't understand the platform, like just this morning alone, there's something that's been going on in the Nigerian Twitter space. There are some handles that take the worst parts of uh, excerpts from some video podcasts and put it out there. And the impression is, you know, if people are actually thinking this way, having these dumb takes, then this is what all podcasters are about. Some of us are spending more time now having to educate people and let them know that first of all, that is a video. You really don't even have an idea what a podcast is. That is a video. Whoever is investing all that money into it and calling it a podcast is putting money down the drain. Apart from it, there's so much that goes on in the podcast space beyond what you think you hear. And so I try my best too to come up with a list, a playlist every Friday, picking out some of the favorite episodes I've stumbled upon during the week, covering a variety of topics, a variety of angles and perspectives from different Nigerians. And, you know, I share that. I'm like, if you're really serious about knowing what podcasting is about, then, you know, this is a good place to start. Or you can ask me direct questions and stop reacting to those videos and then oversimplifying the situation. 
But it is interesting. That's the advantage of podcasting. Anybody, it's a low barrier of entry, but over time, things will get better. Afrobeat started that way. Very much was very active on radio at the beginning of Afrobeats. It wasn't all what we're hearing today. It was hard for us to play some of the songs back in the day. It was really hard. There were some really terrible songs when we started. But I had this friend who was into A&R, and I would have him over whenever I did interviews. I'll bring them on board. You know, I'll bring the evil lady. I mean, I was an artist too, so I was very much involved in everything that was happening. And I would bring him on and I'll be like, we, we can't keep defending these things we hear. We're supposed to play 60% of it. Thank God for the really old songs we had that I could play because a lot of that stuff I couldn't play. And he said, look, it's a good thing. When you started going to studios, Tony, remember, you had to book sessions in advance. I used to come back to Lagos from school. I schooled outside Lagos. I would have to come back, book a session, buy CDs, buy dot tapes, and go into a studio and hope that I could shut out that album in eight hours. And now we're having people who are sitting on their laptops with Fruity Loops and then discovering new things. I have this really amazing friend I worked with when we were in a group who had crazy samples. And what he did with Fruity Loops, I thought was magic. So how can you do all this with a desktop? I'm talking about the times we're using 1.44 MB floppy disks and not even now that we have hard drives. Yeah, I mean, look at it now. We're all talking about Afrobeats. The only thing we want to play is Afrobeats. When I launched my online radio station in 2016, the only thing I was playing on it was Afrobeats 247. It's an amazing thing. And it's coming to that point where people can actually just say, you know what? I want to listen to a podcast where it's not just a podcast. It's an audio series. I want to listen to an audio series about the great heroes of African time. There are people who did things that we weren't allowed to read about in our history books. I want to see where technology is going, especially in fine tech and crossing African borders. There are various perspectives. And of course, I do enjoy the occasional problematic things that the Gen Z millennials go through. It's funny. It's interesting to see. I like to make comparisons with what I did. So yes, there's room for that kind of podcast as well. So personally, I haven't encountered haters. I've only seen people who don't really have a grasp of what's happening. But it's also creating an opportunity for us to say, you know what? You don't know enough of this. The other aspects of this thing do you think you know about? Got you. Just only hate people who are not knowing enough about the industry. That's cool. I'm happy that you have no haters, man. That's a good thing. What are two things that you wish you knew before launching your podcast industry newsletter and your podcast? Two things I wish you knew... A bit more about marketing, which I'm still working on, a bit more about strategy as well. Because to be honest, it's one thing to really create great content. But if you don't know how to get it out to people who need it, you're always going to keep struggling. So those are two areas that I'm immersing myself in now. And I'm trying to figure out how best to make these things work. And it's also part of what I'm putting in my training modules for people coming in so that for every stage of your creative process, you have something to measure it with, know whether or not you're heading down the right path. So marketing and strategy would be the two things I wish I knew. Sounds great. Was there ever any point that you were going to give up? When, why, and how did you push past that point? Oh, there were many points. I've had to give up my online radio. I'm still upset about it, but things got hard economically. Things got really, really hard and the exchange rate was crazy. I couldn't keep up. So even if things were still the same, Dollar-wise, it wasn't the same narrow-wise. And then I had to reassess my priorities. Upgunners, 
There were lots I have over 300 episodes of Upgunners, about 500 episodes of Upgunners. And there were many times I really just wanted to quit. And even now we're still on holiday, but I'm working on like a special series to review the season when it's over. It's time, you know, making out time, wondering whether or not it's worth it. Again, just as I said earlier regarding what I would advise anybody coming into the space to do is know why you're doing it and then stay consistent with it. So even if I've not been producing episodes lately, there's still a lot of content on there that I can refer to. Yes, time, you know, committing time and then you will pot fade at one stage or the other. So it's always good to have an idea or a period where you think you can run something. Maybe that's one of the advantages of doing things seasonally. So that if you have a season, you project how many episodes you think you can do during that season. And then over and over, when I started up Gunners, to be honest, I was focusing on the football seasons. I was using that calendar to push my episodes. But I found out that even off season, there were things to talk about. I part it because I didn't have enough time to commit to it. Then my resources were also doing links. I had to focus on other aspects of my life to support this passion of mine. As much as I've loved podcasting, I can't say I've monetized off it yet. Those platforms didn't exist when I started. So having to now see the opportunities and the availability of the options now, it's a little different from what I was doing before. So to really benefit from these options, I'd have to create something new. It was time, not having enough time to commit to it. And then it was doing resources at the time. So I had to focus my energies on other aspects of my skills, just so I could put food on the table. <laughs> okay. Understood. What has been the biggest challenge that you've needed to overcome in order to be who you are today? Self-confidence. I didn't always grow up with it. It's surprising if you ask some people who met me like a decade ago or even earlier, they'll tell you that I was full of it, that I did have all that confidence. But the truth is I had to fake it for a lot of years before I could get to this point. I had to really spend some time on my own, finding myself, being content with myself, accepting myself for who God made me. And it was self-confidence, yes. And that didn't develop early. That developed a lot, lot later in my life. Cool, cool. You said spending time with yourself and getting to know yourself is what helped you get through it. Love that, man. That time alone makes a difference. That's very necessary. Yeah. Who has been your biggest champion on the path to becoming who you are today? I can't say it's one person because each one has played a different role in my life. But I'd have to say that the human beings in my life would have to be my family, my mom, my sis, and my wife. Three women in my life have been very, very instrumental to my group. My mom, of course, during the period of struggling in my confidence, she always kept her assurances, even if she never understood what it was I was doing in my life. My sister has always made me a prayer point. She's always been supportive. Whatever you see it is you want to do, do it and I'll help you out. She's seen a lot of things she saw in me when I was younger in her daughter now, who is 16, who is also doing the part of podcasting. She's absolutely brilliant. She's such a gem. And, you know, she tends to understand a bit of it now. So the three women in my life have been great champions. I've had good friends too, and we compliment each other as much, but I would say it's the three women in my life. Yes. My mom, my sis, my wife. Love that. And also your mom recently celebrated a birthday. Yes, she did. That's awesome. Happy birthday, mom. Thank you, Rob. So, Tony, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing? Maybe I would have been a successful rapper. Maybe I would have been a successful music production mogul. 
maybe I would have still been on radio. Well, the thing about radio is I always go back. So there's every tendency that I'm still going to be very much involved in radio again. Radio definitely is the most significant thing I think I would have remained in or I would always go back to. Maybe I would have been a successful footballer, maybe retired now and uh, running punditry on BBC or Sky Sports, talking about my glory days, maybe. I love the sound of that. Last question for this section of our interview. With podcasting growing at such a quick pace, what do you feel the future of podcasting looks like in Nigeria and Africa as a whole? One of the scariest things about podcasting is you can never really know. That's the honest truth. I know it will grow exponentially. We will monetize. There will be various options about that, but there are some things that would happen in this space that we probably wouldn't have thought of. Look at the role AI is playing right now in podcast production. It's accelerating production at a rate that we didn't think was possible. There was a time you think, when am I going to write this show notes? How am I going to get this transcript done? Right now, everything is at the press of a button. So there's so much that could happen that I'm really scared. But one thing I'm certain of is exponential growth and monetization for African content creators. So I'm expecting more stories to come on board especially stories that have existed in the past and will now be fined for the future. So, Tony, this next aspect of the interview is rapid-fire questions. You are about to enter the dolphin tank. Are you ready? Yes, I am. Let's do this. Okay, first question. What was the last song you listened to on your playlist? Last song I listened to on my playlist. It's a Ducey Oyeko song, I think, Breathe. Yeah, on Spotify. Who's it by? Ducey Oyeko. Is a gospel artist. D-U-N-S-I-N-O-Y-E-K-A-N. Dusin Oyeko. What was holding you back from creating the life you've always wanted? Money. Mm. Okay. Top tech that you are using to make your life run smoothly? My phone. Love that. Favorite quote or model that you live by? It's from my dad, hurry up slowly. What does that mean exactly? Be patient. Mm, I love that, bro. I've never heard that phrase, so that's awesome. It's very original. Very original. <laughs> right. Favorite and most impactful book that you've read? Most impactful book that I've read would be Maximizing Your Potential by Miles Monroe, closely followed by In the Meantime by Iyanla Van Zant. Gotcha. Three jewels that you would tell someone looking to create the life that they've always wanted. Be true to yourself. Be authentic. Don't be afraid to ask for help and be ready to offer value for what you want. Love that. That was quick and strong. What's next for Tony Doe? I've had breakfast already, so I'm going to have another bath because I'm sweating in here. Yeah, so that's what's next for me. I appreciate you, man. <laughs> well, also, what's happening next for your career, your focus, and your bigger journey? <laughs> uh, okay. We're going into a new week. For the first time, we're having a business summit for radio stations privately owned radio stations. I think this is a big deal. And I'm really grateful to the guild who have put this together. So I'm going to talk about podcasting there. They've specifically invited me to come and talk to radio stations about the benefits of podcasting. And I think this is the best thing that can happen, especially with what we're doing with Afriports B2P. So I'm excited that it was an initiative pushed by the radio people themselves. So I'm actually going to be face-to-face -face with a lot of the guys we've already had conversations with. 
I'm going to see the guys I haven't seen in a while and who actually want to talk about this. And I think I'm actually going to put it in a report of one of the situations we're going through. There's a lot of change in the hierarchy of um, radio broadcast houses. So I'm also going to learn what the challenges are and how best we can strike a balance so everybody wins at the end of the day. So yes, I'm off to Uyo Akwaibom for the first business radio summit put together by the Guild of radio managers and it's going to be an exciting time. I'll do my best to share as much as I can while I'm out there. Sounds great, man. And good luck to you in your conference. I know it's going to be an amazing one and I know you're going to do a great job. So what's the best way to keep in contact with you? I'm very active on Twitter. I have two handles on Twitter, actually. There's one which is personal, which is at Tony Dovio. That's T-O-N-Y-D-O-E-V-O. That's my personal handle. And then my official handle is at Tony Doe Media. That's where I get to answer podcast-related questions, radio-related questions, and where I offer my services and consultancy. Tony Doe VO and Tony Doe Media. I'm also active on LinkedIn. If you find me at Tony Doe VO, you will find me on LinkedIn as well. Love that. Tony Doe, the man, the myth, the legend. Congratulations, bro. You have survived the dolphin tank. Yay! It's what we do. We're survivors. You have to be if you're Nigerian anyway, so. <laughs> okay. So, Tony, we have reached a part of the interview where it's time for the turnaround. This means that you get to ask me any three questions that you want. I have to answer totally unscripted to create your life family. It's very aware of this. Y'all know how we do. So, Tony, I only have one request in this particular section. Okay. So, do I go? How many questions? Three, right? You get three questions, but I have one request. Okay. What's the request? Please be gentle. <laughs> okay, number one, have you learned football? Have you learned the rules of football? You had your chance. It's almost a year now. So have you learned the rules of football? So <laughs> the short answer is no. However, I would like to say thank you to you and to Alex for schooling me and bringing me into the fold on football, real football and soccer. I did watch the World Cup and I watched Ghana, you know, the Black Stars. I was into it. I'm still learning, but I don't know everything yet, but I'm still learning. So thank you for that. Thank you for putting me in the game. I appreciate you. Awesome. Tupac or Biggie? Tupac, all day. I can tell you why, though. Okay, why? I can relate to a lot of the things that he talked about, but also there was a very strong aspect of pro-blackness in Tupac's music that I learned to take pride in being black and, you know what I mean, the history of African-Americans and their correlation in relation to Africa as well. And so for me, like he was talking and speaking poetry and narratives around things that I was living in certain aspects of my life and certain experiences that I got to endure. And then also, you know, that I saw some of my peers endure as well. So to me, he just spoke more to me. Now, don't get it wrong. Biggie is definitely a great lyricist and a great rapper. As a matter of fact, I'll send you the song. But a lot of people don't know that there's a remix to Big Papa that was done by Jermaine Dupri and So So Def for the last few days I've been listening to that song on repeat I'll send it to you on WhatsApp bro but like I've been listening the production is amazing I mean of course like B.I.G.'s flow is impeccable and so I've been listening to the song on repeat it's just Tupac his content really spoke to me especially as a young black male and growing up in America in a different way and actually helped me to achieve and to persevere through certain situations so yeah that's why I say Tupac nice and I'm from the West Coast yeah well understood <laughs> Best decade of R&B music, 80s or 90s? 
I'm happy that you framed it for me because I actually listened to R&B music from like the 60s all the way up. Well, maybe more 70s. 80s or 90s? Or the better decade. Yikes. So who's the 80s? Is that like Johnny Gill is like the 80s? New edition, Johnny Gill, yes. Bobby Brown, Gerald Levert, Alexander O'Neill. Yeah, yeah. The Whispers, Shalomon. Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> Alan Mar. Oh, man. Tina Fey. Ooh, bro. I don't know how to answer that. Like, I was a kid in the 90s, so you're listening to all of this R&B, and you're like, oh, this is dope, and you're singing lyrics to songs that you have no idea what they mean. But then the 80s, I feel like it's that feel-good music where they were painting more of a picture. But that's kind of where I go back to, like, the 70s, too. Like, your confunction, you know what I mean? Switch these guys. So I'm going to just have to cop out and say that I love them both, man, because I don't even know which decade the music is that I'll be listening to, but I just know I'll be going back to stuff. You know, it's so interesting how my love for old school R&B music came about, too, because my foster dad, we used to get in the car and I used to want to hear rap all the time. And he was like, nah, man, turn that stuff off. And he'd be like, this is real music. And he'd be playing Confunction or Gap Band or Earth, Wind and & Fire. And I'd be like, man, I don't want to hear this. And now when I'm at home, that's the first thing that I'm turning on, right? Is all of these like love songs and this R&B and this feeling of illustrations that people were doing and using in their music, man. So that, I just love it all, man. I love R&B. It's the best music I created in my opinion. But from a certain era, like now, I feel like it's just more graphic. And I think that it's not as tasteful as it could be. But that might be the age showing, so. I think music is universal. I'm a bit impressed by some of the songs I hear these kids listening to these days. And that's one of the functions of technology. I've lost a lot of cassettes and vinyls over the years because, you know, as time went on, I couldn't play these things anymore. And my kids don't really know what these machines look like, but they can still feel the music if I turn on Spotify or if I bring out my hard drive and then fix in some songs from way back in the day. And I even see how my nine-year-old reacts to these songs. He actually likes or he prefers what seems old to what he hears nowadays. So that's kind of impressive. I'm big on 70s though, you know, 70s, 80s. Working in radio gave me access to a lot of these songs. So it deepened my excitement for a lot of these great songs. And then, of course, I found out that a lot of what I was hot about in the 90s already existed in the 70s and 60s. So I now knew where the samples came from. So we loved the originals just as much. Right. A lot of sampling and a lot of remakes, definitely in the 90s. Okay. Well, Tony, man, thank you so much for being a guest with us today, man, and sharing your insight and your journey to creating your life with the Create Your Life family. Thank you so much for having me, Kev. I'm really excited to have been part of this project. Got me to see things I didn't think I was going to share anymore. So it's really good to have a platform like this to express myself. Thank you. We're going to amplify African Voices, man, and the amazing work that's taking place here. So Create Your Life family, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast. And of course, share with everyone you know. Please email our questions, suggestions, and compliments to info at cylseries.com. The Create Your Life series is executive produced by myself, Kevin Y. Brown, and produced by the Podcast Laundry Production Company. And this episode has been recorded at Kofisi Studios in Nairobi, Kenya. So until next time, create your life and feed your ambition. Create your life. Nola Shah, the Semeso. 
Create your life. Africa X. This episode was brought to you by PodcastLaundry.com. I love Podcast Laundry. It provides a real solution to free up my time. And time is the only resource that we cannot get back. Podcast Laundry was created with love to help other fellow busy podcasters free up time so that they could do more of what they love, whether that's traveling, time with friends and family, or working on other ventures. If you want to free up your time, then have Podcast Laundry do the dirty work of note-taking, graphic creation, editing, show tagging, and uploading for you. Go to PodcastLaundry.com or call 347 to schedule your consultation and remember to use code CYLS that's podcastlaundry.com or call 347-871-8273